Bibles open to Romans chapter 6, page 942. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. On the 25th of August, which was yesterday, in 1944, which was 79 years ago, the city of Paris in the morning was under the rule of the Nazis. It was World War II, of course. However, on that same day, the final German garrison surrendered to the Allies. And so on the 25th of August, 1944, the citizens of Paris, who were still living in that city, experienced a radical shift in regime. It went in the space of one day from being under the regime of the Nazis to being under the regime of the Allies. And in many ways, that's a perfect illustration for what happens to us when we are united with Christ. We were once under the regime of sin and death when we were in Adam. But when we came to believe in Christ when the Spirit regenerated us and we found ourselves in Christ we shifted regime and we came to be under the reign of grace we came to have Christ by his Holy Spirit Spirit ruling our hearts we shifted from being dead to God to being alive to God from being alive to sin to being dead to sin And in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, Paul has been laboring long and hard to make sure that we understand what union with Christ is all about. He's given us this really rich explanation of this wonderful doctrine. But then when he gets to verse 11, he shifts gear. He moves from explanation to now a flurry of exhortations. You see, it's one thing to grasp union with Christ, but you need to live out your union with Christ. We need to make war with sin. Yes, when Christ died, we died, and we died to sin. When Christ was raised, we were raised, and that means we now live in the newness of life. But here's what's so vitally important to understand. We may have died to sin, but sin is not dead to us. We still battle and struggle with the reality of sin, sin indwelling us. And so Paul wants us to know, yes, we're in Christ. Yes, Christ is in us. That is our identity. But if we're going to live out our identity then we need to put sin to death. Now, when we were last in Romans chapter 6, we we really just looked at verse 11. It starts with the word so. So in light of all that you now know about your union with Christ, this 
And then, then comes the first command, the first imperative, not just in uh, this little letter, but here's the first command that Paul gives in his letter to the Romans. He says, so you must consider, you must count, you must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We said that Paul's first command is, is how we think. If you're going to live out the Christian life, if you're going to have right living, you need to have right thinking. And the way you need to think is regarding who you are. You are now someone who's dead to sin. You've got to know that about who you are. And you're someone who's now alive to God. And this changes everything. Well, it ought to change everything in our lives. Our status has changed. We're no longer under the dominion, the mastery of sin. We're now alive to God. Now, last time when I was preaching on this verse, the way I have to apply it to our life is, if we're going to think this way, that means we need to preach gospel to ourselves every day. One of the, the tragedies of, of, of living in the flesh is that we struggle with this problem of spiritual amnesia. We keep on forgetting what we should know. Hence the reason Paul kept on saying in verses 1 through 10, do you not know this? This is this, this, is this truth that so you've got to know. You've got to know who you are in Christ. The other thing that I, 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 I said when I was trying to apply this was Satan... One of his tactics in his battle against us is to help us forget who we are. And, and C.S. Lewis captured it brilliantly in the Screwtape Letters. He said that, when speaking of it, one elder demon who's coaching his prodigy, he said, keep his mind off the most elementary truths and duties and try and direct him to the most advanced and spiritual ones. In other words, what Satan tries to do is he, he tries to make us forget who we are. He, 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 his tactic is to get us to stop preaching the gospel to ourselves and, and to get us to think if we just would advance in the more spiritual things and deep things, which is often avoidance to giving our minds to the most essential things. Another way, one of Satan's tactics to get us to forget who we are is see when you and I sin, he comes to convict us and condemn us. He says, oh no, you've gone too far now. You're beyond the pale. You're now in shaky ground with God. You're, you're guilty. You're shameful. How could you have done such a thing? But if you preach the gospel to yourself after you sin, you need to know this. You always, you who are in Christ, always stand on the solid rock of grace and forgiveness. Of Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Behold, you are a new creation. So that was the first application. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Well, now as we move to verses 12 through 14, what we have is, first of all, in verse 12 and into verse 13, two negative commands. And then halfway through verse 13 into verse 14, we have uh, two positive commands. And then finally, at the very end of verse 14, we have this glorious promise. Let me read the two negative commands. Let not sin, therefore, 
reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So just as I said, what's so important to understand, even though in our union with Christ we have died to sin, that doesn't mean that sin did, didn't die to us. So if I go back to the illustration of what happened on the 25th of August, 1944, yes, the Allies defeated the Nazis. But the Nazis did not stop fighting. They did not stop fighting until the end of the war when they were truly defeated. And here's the thing. When anyone is defeated in a battle, they they, they come back with more of vengeance. And that's sin. Sin has lost its mastery and its dominion over us, but it's still alive and active in the world, and it's still alive and active in you and me. Just because we died to sin in Christ doesn't mean sin died to us. The presence of sin is within us. Now here's something you need to understand. Do you know where the main battleground for our war with sin takes place? Our mortal bodies. And when Paul speaks about our mortal bodies, he means these dying and decaying bodies. You know where sin wages its war against you and me? And these are bodies. He tries to get us to use the instruments, the members of our bodies as, the members of our bodies as instruments, as weapons of warfare for evil. It's interesting that when Paul speaks about sin in chapter 6, he, he always speaks about sin as, as, as a king. It wants to rule. It wants to exercise influence and authority. It wants to live like a monarch over us. Hence the reason says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as weapons or as instruments for unrighteousness. So so in verse 11, it was a command to think. Now, in verse 12 and 13, it's a command that we need to obey. We must stop letting sin establish, establishing any kind of foothold in our lives. Now, here's the thing. Let's think about our bodies. Let's think why our bodies are the perfect battleground for Satan and for sin. Because our bodies are so vulnerable. You know, all of our bodies have weaknesses. All of our bodies have great functions. They, they need food, they need drink. It's our bodies we use to work. It's our bodies we use in forming relationships with others. But you know what Satan does? He, he takes our bodies, and even our, our, and what sin does, it takes our body's needs and it turns them into obsessions. It turns them into addictions. It turns them and it corrupts things that should be normal. Sin also corrupts our bodies, our good bodily pleasure. So if sin can't get us with our needs, he will try and get us with our pleasures. So the things that our bodies enjoy, he takes good things and it turns it into God things. One of the most fascinating things about sin is that it attacks us both when we're bodily strong and both when we're bodily weak. So, you remember King David? 
Remember the night or the day he he took Bathsheba. He was at his strongest. He was at his best. He'd won so many victories. He didn't choose to go with his men in war and sometimes it's because when we're so strong in ourselves we, we stop depending upon God and we we just relax. And yet in his boredom he went to his rooftop and he, he was at his strongest but truly he was at his weakest. He was at his most vulnerable. You think of Peter that we're thinking about this morning. His feet had just been washed by Jesus. He just had an amazing meal with Jesus. He was at his strongest and yet he left that room that night and he denied Jesus three times. Sin will get us when we're bodily strong. But don't be fooled. Sin will also get us when we're bodily weak. You know, when you're downcast and dejected, when you're depressed, when you're in pain... Oh, then sin will come. Sin knows you're vulnerable. Easy for the taking. It's, it's no coincidence that it was when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness that Satan came and tried to tempt him. And do you remember how he tried to tempt him? With food. Turn the stone into bread. It's no surprise that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan... Even there, we hear Christ praying, not, but, not my will, but yours be done. Sin will come after us in our bodies. Sin knows the entry points, the weak points. It knows the, the, the weak points to get behind the defensive lines in our lives. We die to sin, but sin has never died to us. There is an enemy who lurks, especially around our bodily passions. And so here, Paul says, like, if you understand that you're united with Christ, you cannot let sin reign in your mortal body. Sin wants to reign and rule in the place it once reigned and ruled in but at once had mastery over. Now, here's the thing about sin. It doesn't just want one place. It wants all of us. It wants our heads. It wants our hearts. It wants our hands. It wants our feet. It wants our eyes. It wants our mouth. It wants our ears. Sin wants to govern every part of our mortal, mortal body from top to bottom, every inch, every ounce. It wants to make us obey its passions. Now Paul's technique here is he, he states it in the negative and then he continues on in verse 13 and he gives another negative command and he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. 
It's virtually the, the exact same thing he's saying as he's just said in verse 12. But he get, gets even more specific. He says, don't present your members, not just your body, your, your members, your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, and so forth. Don't present them as instruments, as weapons in this war with sin. Sin wants to take the reins of your, your head, your eyes, your ears, your mouth. It wants your hands, it wants your feet. It wants to enslave you in bondage once again. Now, Jesus' younger brother, James, remember the member of our body that he writes about? If you hear a Bible there, turn with me to James chapter 3. There's one member of our bodies... that we all know is very difficult to control. James 3, we'll pick it up in verse 3. If we put bits in the mouths of horses, it's page 1012, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. One of the members of our body that sin has great control over is our little member, this thing here, our tongue. When you, when you come to Christ, you're dead to sin, you're alive to God, you're a new creation. And yet, one of the easiest areas that sin comes and he fights against us is to go against this little tongue because he knows it is a world of unrighteousness It is this little tongue that we human beings struggle to tame. And the reason there's all these commands in Scripture that we we put a guard over our mouth. We use our tongue to speak words that build up. I wonder in your fight with sin as someone who's united with Christ, how often do you think about your tongue? You see, when when Paul's been 
explaining this doctrine of union of Christ and, and telling us how amazing it is that we're united with Christ, it's because now as he, he applies it to our lives and calls us to live it out, he knows that you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know that the life we live in Christ is all by grace, and, and grace is the fuel for a holy life and, and, and obedience. But listen, if we are going to make war with sin, we need to make every effort to put sin to death. So the two negative commands, verse 12 into verse 13. Now the two positives. Paul moves now in halfway through verse 13 and he says, but present yourselves to God. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You know, we, we need both the negative and the positive command if we're going to live a healthy Christian life. We, we need to know what we ought not to do and we need to know what we ought to do. And Paul here says, if you're going to live the Christian life, you need to present your body and you need to present your members for righteousness sake. See that, that word present there. It goes back to the Old Testament. It's what a priest would do when offering a sacrifice. He would slay it. He would then lay it or literally present it to God upon the altar. And that is what Paul says that we've got to do with our bodies. That is what Paul says we've got to do with the members of our bodies. We've got to take them And we've got to present them to God and say, God, these are yours. God, these are yours and so we give them to you and we're going to use them for you and for your glory. Uh, The call to worship tonight is Romans chapter 12 verse 1. No accident. In view of God's mercies, so in light of what God has done for us in the gospel, in the grace of, in the, in the grace of the gospel, in view of God's mercies, what are we to do? We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It's the exact same truth that is stated there, that is stated here. When you grasp the gospel, the most appropriate response is to present yourself, all of yourself, to God. I can't remember, I might get this wrong, but I think in John Stott's biography, it's told that every morning when he woke up, he would move himself to the end of his bed. Before he got up and out of his bed, he would say, he would bend his head in prayer, And he would say, God, this head I give to you, all of it to you. These eyes this morning I I give to you, I devote to you. I pray that I will not set them in worthless things. These ears I give to you. I want to hear from you. This mouth I give to you. This tongue I give to you. These hands, God, they I give them all to you. I devote them to you. May they work for you. These feet I give to you. All of them, may I give it to you. That's what it is to present your body and your members to God. 
It's actually to be self-consciously aware that you are going in your battle with sin. You can't just go into a battle with sin and think, okay, I'm going to try and put sin to death if you're not going to give all of yourself to God. In our battle with sin, in our pursuit of holiness, to live the godly lives that we are called to Christ Jesus, we must give all of ourselves to God. Our minds, our mouths, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet. If sin is not going to rule over us and be our tyrant, then we need to know we're under a new regime. We're under Jesus Christ, but we need to give all of ourselves to him. Now, key to living this life, and, and you see it there in the very heart of verse 13, is that we do these things because we understand the grace of the gospel. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Why do we give ourselves wholly to God? Because we understand in the gospel he gave himself wholly to us in Jesus Christ to bring us from death to life. What is the motivation for living a holy life? What is the fuel that helps us live a holy life? Grace. What is it that teaches us, instructs us, and trains us to say no to ungodliness? Paul speaking in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God. It is us grasping the gospel and the knowledge of all that God has done for us that in many ways should propel us and fuel us to make every effort. To live holy lives for God. I love that the, the beautiful way of the Christian life. Our imperatives all flow from the facts and the indicatives of what God has done for us. So we've had the two negative commands, we've had the two positive commands, but then at the end there of verse, the, the end there, verse 14, Paul gives us this incredible promise. Brothers and sisters, if you're anything like me, I, I suspect that you, you know what it is to, to be shot and to lose battles in this war against sin. You know what it is to fail. You know what it is to have your defense lines breached. We well, need to see this promise. This is the most glorious promise you'll ever hear. For sin will have no dominion over you. <laughs> In our war with sin, there are times we will, experience, we will experience losses in the battle, but the war will be won. Sin, now that we are in Christ, we are dead, and it will never again reign over us. It will never again have dominion over us. Because we're united to Christ. And we died with Christ. And so we died to sin. The penalty, the punishment of sin, dead. Yeah, we're still fighting with the presence of sin, but there is coming a day where sin will be no more. Sin will no more have its dominion over us. But why won't sin have its dominion over us? Since you're not under law, you are under grace. 
The reason sin won't have dominion over us is because we're not living our life under the law, under the, the, the dictatorial race of uh, reign of sin, which we once obeyed as daily lifestyles. No longer do we strive to keep the law in order to make ourselves acceptable to God. Paul says we're not under law. We're not under reign anymore, but we're under grace. And that statement doesn't mean we're, good, we're free to go and live our Christian lives as any way we please or desire. No, to be under grace means to be under the controlling reign of Christ. In our new, new nature. So, so back in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, do you see what Paul said there? Do you remember what Paul said there? Romans 5, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grain also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reason this war will be won, the reason sin will have no dominion over us, is because we are under our master, our king, and our savior, Jesus Christ. We're under the powerful government of grace. And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is at work in us and the same grace that sustains him sustains us. And so, brothers and sisters, this is the most glorious promise. In light of the gospel, in light of who you are in Christ, make every effort. Make every effort not to let sin reign in your body. Make every effort not to use the the members of your body as instruments for unrighteousness. Make every effort to present your bodies and your members to God, all of you devoted to God. But do it in the full knowledge that yes, there might be times where you find yourself losing battles, but the war has been won. And we're under the reign of Christ. Under the reign of grace. That's glorious. Let's pray. Our Father, it's so good to live under grace. It's so good to live under the rule and reign of Christ. We pray then that you would help us by your Holy Spirit living in us in our battle with sin. We pray that we would not let sin dominate in our lives, but rather we would let you dominate. That we would give ourselves fully and wholly to you. All in, mind, heart, hands, feet, mouth, ears, eyes that we would give all of ourselves to you because you've given all for us to be brought from death life and the giving of your son God as we go into this week we, we, we want to pray that even as we wake up in the morning we would preach the gospel to ourselves that we would remember that we are to count ourselves, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that as we go throughout the day, we would give all of ourselves to you. We would make every effort, every effort, to not let sin reign, but to give all of ourselves to you. 
Lord, we thank you that we live our lives in, in light of the fact that Christ has won the war. And so we pray that the joy of our salvation would be our strength. Well, we want to pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ who right now might be bodily strong. All might be well in their life. And there might be just that vulnerability where they're not trusting wholly upon you, but depending a little bit more on themselves. Oh God, protect them. Clothe them in the gospel armor. Remind them that it's when they're weak it's then that they are strong in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation who are weak bodily, those who are suffering, those who are sick, those who are downcast, oppressed. Lord, we know that they, it is in those times, it's in those seasons that Satan can so easily come and wage war on them. They're so vulnerable. And so we pray that you would remind them of all that they are in Christ and all that they have in Christ and that you've granted by your divine power all things that are necessary to live a godly life in Christ Jesus through our knowledge of the Son. And God, we pray that as a church family, you would protect us from the evil one who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Pray that we may resist the devil and that we may flee to you. We know that sin is crouching at our door. And so we pray, O oh God, that we would be ready to fight it, to stamp it, to kill it, to suffocate it, to murder it, knowing that if we don't, it will be killing our spiritual lives. And so, O oh God, we pray that having learned all of these truths of regarding our union with Christ, that we would go into this week and we would live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.